Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Welcome to the Fee-for-Service Dentist Podcast, Dr. Sonny Sparrow. We got a two-part series with Dr. Stephen Rasner, and we're going to squeeze as much information out of Steve as we can. Stephen is a 22 years in 46 American states. He has taught different parts of dentistry and across five countries. He has written, you probably recognize his name, over 50 publications. He's authored, authored three books. He's one of top clinical educators in dentistry today for 13 consecutive years. He walks the walk, talks the talk, but more importantly, he is a practicing dentist. He has survived lung cancer. He has survived financial hardship, currently getting over serious back surgery. A tremendous, tremendous help to all of our fee-for-service folks. He's clearly fee-for-service. He's a big proponent of sedation. He's going to share with us the eight things I would do if I started over on Monday, along with how he handles a new patient. He goes through the exact steps of a new patient exam, how he closes those cases, and how big treatment plan case acceptance goes hand-in-hand with the way he practices. And a lot like the person who referred him, Dr. Nicole Vane, he does more with less. So stick around and listen up. I'm sure you'll get a lot from this podcast. As always, our fee-for-service podcast is sponsored by Kettenbach. And remember, new from Kettenbach is a new product called the Salus Semcor. It's product for every cementation protocol, and it's also a core buildup material all in one. The Salus Semcor. Try it out. Call Kettenbach at 877-532-2123 or visit them on the web, kettenbach-dent.us. Enjoy the show. you like it, subscribe, share it with your friends. If you don't like it, please give me your feedback. Always appreciate it. My email is sunnyspira at gmail because I have no imagination. Enjoy. My name is Drew Burns, and I'm a part of a small group of dentists who believe something crazy. We believe that the standard of care is just not good enough. We demand the best of ourselves and the best for our patients. We believe that the best way, no, the only way to practice dentistry is on our own terms. If you ask the dental consultants or the corporate CEOs, they tell you that what we're doing isn't smart, that fee-for-service dentistry is dead, and that the golden age of dentistry is over. Yet, while others focus on profits first, we focus on the patient first. And yet our offices are some of the most profitable in the entire country because we invest in ourselves and we are doing things right. It's our name on the door and it's our reputation on the line. My name is Drew Burns and I am a fee-for-service dentist. This is the Fee-for-Service Dentist Podcast and these are our stories. Welcome to the Fee-for-Service Dentist Podcast, Dr. Sonny Spira. My extra special guest today is Dr. Steven Rasner. He came from a referral, again, from Dr. Nicole Vane. Nicole, we love you. Thank you very much. But I 
have a little history with Dr. Rasner because I wrote my very first article in Dentistry Today, and it was about the beginning of corporate dentistry and Sally McKenzie got with American Dental Partners and I was at a, a, a seminar and, and she, they, they, they presented late at night to the docs in the room and I was just appalled at how it was handled. And I wrote the article and he went out of his way. He called my office looking for me and I'll never forget. I was like, and then, and then I was like, Steve Razor, oh my God, this guy writes. I've seen him in all these magazines. He's He's a very uh, successful dentist. I mean, he's calling me. So he, and he called to tell me that he appreciated the article and uh, he thanked me for it. And I was like, I was a young, dumbass, young dentist. And I, I was just so impressed with it. And since then, I followed his career and I know he's got a very successful practice. Let me give you some background. He is a in the trenches dentist. A been there, done that kind of guy, but just so involved. And I, I you're just going to love this. He's taught for 22 years in 46 states and five counties, countries abroad. He's been recognized Dentistry's Today top clinical educators for 13 consecutive years. He has over 50 publications in many industry journals and has authored three books. He currently is the host of the Lionhearted Dentist Podcast. Dr. Rasner is the clinical director of the Rasner Institute, which is dedicated to training doctors from any state on live patients in the area of atraumatic extractions and implant surgery. He may also be reached at Dr. Rasner, D-R-R-A-S-N-E-R, at AOL.com. My kind of people, AOL, here we go, <laughs> or ResnerInstitute.com. Steve, how you doing, man? Hey man, Sonny, thank you. This is a this is a pleasure for me because I, you know, those of you that are listening, I I used to do tons of these, and I probably have done every major podcast of everybody you've ever heard of, mm -hmm. and I still get emails sometimes from those guys uh, that listened to this podcast like seven years ago, but I haven't done them as much. And so when I heard, I knew Sonny, but I didn't know about his podcast the fee-for-service practice. So when I heard from Nicole, Dr. Nicole in California, I I got excited. Like, I feel like it's like my first time. So thanks for having me. It's cool. No, I'm very excited. I'm I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of yours as I, I was, I hopefully you picked up on that, right? I'm a big fan of yours. So. Oh, thanks. <laughs> so if I, if I sound like a little glowing teenager, I'm sorry. Okay. This is kind of like my <laughs> David Cassidy moment right here, man. <laughs> <laughs> there's another reference from our time okay so steve talk about how you got yeah. into dentistry let's 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 start there how'd you get into it yeah. well the future of fee-for-service dentistry is based in membership patients if you need help starting your membership plan or if your plan is too big for your team to manage visit dentalmembershipdirect.com to set up your free membership growth solution demo with our team it's I'm just going to jump right, be honest with you, right up into dental school, because what happened is I was an undergraduate. And look, those of you listening, many of you probably younger, you know, I'm really, it's important to me that when somebody takes 30 minutes, an hour out of their time to try to improve their practice or their, their personal lives, I take it real seriously. So I'm going to try my best to focus in on whatever I speak about that would help you. And this first part, 
when I lecture and did my presentations, one of the first slides I, I show is called, it says, you don't have to be a superstar to be a superstar. You just have to want it more and be willing to outwork everyone else. Mm-hmm. And I put that slide in there and then, and, I, and I say something really funny, and I don't know if it'll come across verbally, Sonny, on your podcast, but then I say, and I have absolute proof. Let me take it back to 1979, and I show Clinton was the president, and a Toyota Corolla cost $3,000. This is how I start my lectures, okay? Uh, the best movie of the year was whatever it was, I don't remember. And then there's a picture of me with a mustache and your speaker was a senior at the university of pennsylvania dental school this is what i this is how i start and he had just spent the past four years getting up early working through the weekends doing everything he could because he was determined to be the number one student in his class and when those final rankings came out in may of 1980 Yours truly was ranked number one. And then I pause and say, 179. (laughs) And I do that because number one, it was the truth. (laughs) And I want them to know that my story, you look, we all know superstars. Carl Misch was a superstar. You know, he played, and you probably had people in your class. I had a guy in my class that was like, third string Miami Dolphins quarterback. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was everything for me to hang on by a thread. Mm-hmm. Honestly, until I got to the clinical part, because I was a psych major at Rutgers and I took the minimum requirements to get into dental or medical school, like maybe some of you did. And then when I got to dental school at Penn in 1976, I know that sounds ridiculous to lots of you. <laughs> I got blown out of the water. I mean, every, all these guys were bio majors. They were smarter than me anyway, but they also already had the courses. I didn't even know how to use a microscope. <laughs> and I got slaughtered. And I, honest to God, didn't think I would be able to make it through the first year or second year. And I wasn't used to that because I was a superstar at Rutgers. I could have been the student president at Rutgers. I, it was just the best four years of my life. And I get to Penn Dental, and I'm feeling pretty good about myself, you know, but everybody there was from Harvard, Yale, friggin' like invented crap. I mean, you know, some guy was like an actor. I'm not kidding about this. Some guy was an actor and like in, in other things, and dentistry was going to be like a side thing to him. Are you kidding me? You know, and I'm in there. I remember, I'll never forget it. I studied my brains out for the very first test, which is an anatomy test. And I got like a 94. And I thought, oh, my God, I belong. Thank God. And that was below the class average. So when I got out of dental school, I wasn't in the top. I was in the the, the bottom fifth of the class. So I had no GPR opportunities. So what do you do? So I went, my dad was a dentist in my little town in Southern New Jersey. And he was a good guy, but he was a mom and pop dentist. You know, he was into a million other things other than dentistry. 
And he probably didn't even want me, to be honest with you. If he had another choice, he'd probably take the other guy. But he didn't. So I came back and I worked in the town I grew up in. And to was not feeling good about myself. This is an important conversation, guys, because some of you, I'm sure, have a similar experience in other ways. The bottom line is, is I had a doctorate or medical dentistry degree from the University of Pennsylvania, and I felt like crap. I did. I felt like I stayed back in school because I didn't want to go back to my hometown. I had been in Philadelphia for four years, and my hometown was suffering. It was like the biggest, the, the year I graduated dental school, the biggest employer in the town closed their doors. And it just wasn't a place that any of you would want to go to. I'm not, I feel bad trashing it, but it's just the truth. It was a great town when I grew up, but it's not a place that you would practice it. So what did I do? Well, what I did is I started taking CE. And taking CE back in 1980 is a little different than it is today because there weren't continuums, okay? There there wasn't a, a one-year course in this or a six-month course in that. Right. Not in the beginning there wasn't. <clears throat> right, Sonny? Remember yeah, it was that? piecemeal. It was like, you know, one lecture here, maybe a two-day yeah. here, but yeah, it was piecemeal. Yep. Yeah, and you, and you guys have just an incredible – I mean, it's so different today. But here's the takeaway. I kept, I also went and found the best dentist I could find. And I really did do this. I don't know how I found him. I don't remember. Maybe I asked around to my supply guy. But you got a picture. I'm now in this little town. I lived in Philadelphia, which for me was wonderful. And now I'm like, like I'm back in my bedroom that i grew up in i'm not really like i have an apartment and stuff but you told me you're back in bedford falls is that what you're telling me no i said um i felt like i was sleeping in my parents bedroom yeah no no i'm kidding yeah <laughs> you know and i'm it, i'm backwards and i'm not feeling good about anything sure you know you know we, we're talking about chairs my father's chairs i'm not kidding that you had to pump with your with your yep. leg yep. to get it you know, and a rope drill. like Yeah, with the, with the, with the police. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. That is Steve Rasner, who's, who's lecturing in 46 states, five countries, blah, blah, blah. That's how it started. And so I have to tell you that part of my message to you is how bad do you want it? Like, mm -hmm. that is what I did not want. I don't know what I wanted, but that wasn't it. So I started finding guys I remember, and I would go to their offices, feel awkward and uncomfortable, but I still would do it. I read everything I could read, and I started taking CE because it was it didn't take long for it to start to become a thing. And I remember the first thing I took was a three-year continuum at Penn in, uh, in Perio. So you would go once a month, and they would teach you different Perio things, just you know, that's uh -huh. what it was. And I, and then I stumbled on to all, everything that you guys have heard of. I stumbled on over the time, Frank Spear and, and uh, John Coy's. And I flew from Philadelphia to Seattle 19 times. 
It's it was five thousand, literally nineteen times. It's just a microcosm of what I was doing. I was taking Dawson. I was doing this. Was doing that, and it wasn't just that I was learning stuff. It was that I was meeting other like-minded professionals in dentistry that love dentistry. Because you guys have to know that just because you're a dentist doesn't mean you love what you do. Right. Yep. And it's important to be and a lot of guys. I met guys that hated dentistry from the beginning, yeah. and all they wanted to do was make money. And yeah. you know, they weren't going to give up their license and, and all their education because they didn't love it. Right. right. You guys, you guys must know people like that. The Doc Sites provides affordable and effective websites for dentists with no long-term contracts, transparent pricing, and great customer service, starting at only $59 a month. They also provide optional online marketing packages to help increase your online visibility. For special offers, including up to 25% off your website setup, text FEE4SERVICE to 818-489-9823. 818-489-9823. This is a limited time offer, so text now and lock in your savings and visit Doc Sites for more information. Well, I think so, you, hit on, you hit on a big point. I think the the fact that CE has come back and it's no longer just all online is to me the biggest point because a guy like yourself, you're going to gravitate towards other kind of like-minded individuals and it becomes sort of a feeding frenzy of, oh, you do this, you do that. And, and it's very uplifting as opposed to the, oh, I'm only here for, I got the requirements and mandatory CE and I'm just going to get some my licenses. Okay. Well, you guys can go talk amongst yourselves. I want to talk to people who are into it and, and want to, thrive you know like and, and it's it in those people and i still go out to to conferences i got a text yesterday from a guy met in montana talking to me about something and i was you know it was great and i remember meeting him two years ago in utah like those mm -hmm. things are are just they're they're life-changing and they're affirming affir affirmative action in your practices you know, that's my feeling. Yeah, I mean, I know it's, it might seem like Sonny and I right now are way off topic, but it is an off topic because that's part of how I got to be a fee-for-service practice. Right. You know, it might be a two-minute conversation at lunch yeah. or after the course with some dude from Alabama, and he might say to me, "And hey, did you hear about this guy over here? And this is what he does. And have you used this or that? How do you... We are isolationists, whether you right. like it or not, Yeah. by design of what we do. Yeah, you live in you, a cave, right. You go in a hospital, if you're a physician, you can't help but run into 20 doctors a day. Well, that's not what happens. And it's very easy to get in your own little thing. Yep. And it's also easy. To, it gets hard to get out of it if you're in a rut yeah. because you haven't networked. And, and I guess that's where I'm going. Comfort zone. You stay in your comfort zone. Yeah. 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 So, but I got to ask so, you about growing up. Mm -hmm. Did you spend some time with your dad in the office? Did you, you know, talk a little, just a little bit about that component that had to, had to have an impact on you. Uh, you're going to be surprised at this answer. So I grew up in a really small town. I had four brothers uh -huh. and I remember, I don't need anybody to get out their violin, but this is true. So when I was seven, I remember coming home from school and my brothers weren't there. 
My parents were divorced and they just left one day. Back then there was no like sensitivity training. And Stephen, I got to tell you about something that's going to happen. And, you know, I didn't go to some psychologist for three months. I just came home and they were gone. Like it was nothing. Like it was cloudy that day. So I grew up with my mother and my mom wasn't the greatest role model, to be quite honest with you. Uh-huh. And she struggled with addiction and stuff like this. And But she was a hard worker, but she wasn't the coddling kind. Sure. So the truth sure. is, the absolute truth is, is I was so afraid of being a loser, even when I was eight or nine or 10, because I really didn't strong parental guidance because my brothers were moved with my dad, same town. And my mom tried, but she just, you know, wasn't that she was, you know, she got a job and all that stuff. But so I overcompensated for everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, from training and karate, because I didn't want to be a mama's boy. I'm talking about when I'm nine and 10 years old. Right. And that was the usual thing to being really disciplined academically. And I didn't know what I wanted to be, to be quite honest with you. But no. I, yeah, I, I, I spent occasional time in my dad's office, but that's not where it came from. I wow. wasn't even sure in dental school. I mean, excuse me, in college, if that's what I wanted to do. Wow. So it wasn't that, you know. And actually, it's an interesting point because I haven't thought about it, Sonny. You know, when I came back because I couldn't get a GPR to be with my dad, who I didn't know that well, was even mm-hmm. weirder. And... It's got a good story to it because then we became close. You know what I mean? So Wait, so you went we, to work for him and you saw a different yeah. side. Right? Yeah, I went to work for him and it was a whole different, like, hey, you're dad, you know? So Did he encourage so, you with the CE? Like when you, because you obviously are expressing, listen, I have this desire, I have this burning passion to learn. Was mm-hmm. he supportive of that or was he just like, well, Steve, do your thing? What was that conversation? It's all, it honestly, I got to be honest, it's self motivated. I was motivated because I didn't like what happened at Penn to me, Mm -hmm. you know? And to be honest with you, I said this early in the podcast Rutgers, I, I had such a gigantic array of friends, and I was very high academically ranked, and I felt good about myself. And I get to Penn, and they were a different breed. Right. They were because Rutgers is a working man's school. Like people that could afford, that could not afford Ivy League schools would go to Rutgers. That's not me. Rutgers was the best school I could have got into, uh-huh. and I was happy with it. But you get to Penn, and, I, and it was a lot of wealthy kids that were very different in my head so it was a nut so getting back in my practice i gotta be honest i'll tell you i'll tell you how impactful it was i went to my first reunion at 30 years at penn dental and i could tell that a lot of my colleagues were thinking where'd you come from like i didn't even notice you at dental school how the heck did you get on all those magazines mm-hmm. and, or whatever they were thinking i felt that and there was a drive for me. There was a drive from the time I was young to the time I was in college and dental school. And then now 
stuck. I felt like being stuck back in my town was a setback, but mm-hmm. I didn't have any other choices. Mm-hmm. So I was determined to try to overturn that and try to make it better. And I did. I mean, so it- you're, t- you're taking all this CE mm-hmm. and, and are you still working your dad's practice? Did you bring it back into his practice or did you decide, listen, I think that I'm going to set up my own thing. What did you do? On the second week that I worked for my dad, he came to me and said, this is never going to work uh, as you as an employee. Second week. Uh, second week. Wow. Um, he said, I'll tell you what, you do your own thing. Because we actually shared a waiting room and there was two rooms on the other side. And now it was, it was a positive thing. He just said he didn't want to like he felt weird paying me as an employee. You start your own practice. I'll feed you patients. It was incredibly helpful because okay. he was a big, he was a big thing in my town. Right, like I got everybody you. respected him and loved him. Uh-huh. He could have been the mayor, and so there was a lot, lots of patients he fed me in his office. But I had my—I'm not kidding. By the second or third week, it was my own deal. So I just got kind of thrown into it. And then three years into it, I moved you know, out to a certain location. And then it really started to expand. And we, I was using the things I learned in CE. Mm-hmm. And when I say that, I mean, the jewels of management of a practice and, and this and that, uh, you know, as leadership, everything. And so by my third year, I had my own building. I brought him out too, you know, to my building. He uh-huh. left the place he had been for 40 years. And, uh, you know, but he wasn't working much. And, you know, we, I remember we were jump. We went from, I'm talking in the early 80s, we went from 200,000 to 400,000 to 800,000. It was, I know that's those numbers aren't so big today. No, but, no, those are exponential. But, but remember the fee schedule that you're working for. Crowns were probably what, 200, $300? <laughs> It was, I mean, I was, I was, and I, I have to back up and say one more thing. I don't know how relevant it is, except the fire of wherever you're at right now. Those of you listening that, that aren't where you want to be my, even though I worked for my, my dad, I also worked in a practice in Philadelphia on purpose. Cause I wanted to see other sides. I work for, this is true. I work for a practice in my hometown. So when I say that, it may be like one day or one night a week. And I started a second practice by my second or third year at the Jersey Shore. And I, the, the true story, I would work in my practice till Wednesday at three o'clock. I would drive an hour to the shore. I rented a, a guy's office, a pediatric dentist office who had a shower and a little tiny bed and a little part of it. And I would sleep there. I'd work there Wednesday night and all day Thursday. It didn't work out in the long term. I get it. But that's the stuff I was doing. I worked in three other practices, even though I didn't have to. I could have been 100% busy in my father's practice. But I, I wasn't sure what I wanted. So what's the takeaway? If I was an early associate... I would have as many experiences as you could when it comes to work. You know, if it's corporate, if it's a mom and pop practice, right. I, you really got to expose yourself 
And to me, Sonny, it didn't seem like a big deal. I didn't do it for the money, really. I would, you know, you could work one job in dentistry mm-hmm. in 1980 and have enough money to survive. It wasn't money. I wasn't sure what operational yeah. type of thing I wanted to be. Yeah, you're still you know? feeling your way. You're still, yeah. so you're trying to say, well, how does it, and I'm sure, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I'm sure you're saying, okay, from this practice, I like these four things. From this practice, I like these two things. I hate these four things. Okay, well, I won't do this, but I will do this. So now you're really formulating your core values of what you're going to do in your own practice, right? Yeah, and I got to say to you, with the CE, you know, I forget who my early mentors were. Dawson was one of them, and certainly I mentioned it by 10 years in, I was taking, oh, one of my first big guys was Strupp and Brum. Strupp, not Brum. Bill Strupp. And if you guys listening, think about it. Probably one of the best weeks you've had so far early in your career is right after you took a course. I wish it would translate right after this podcast, because then I would feel all the value <laughs> I'm giving you, I hope. And I don't know if that'll be the case, but I can tell you, a lot of times I would come back and I would just kill it because I was empowered. I know you can feel that I'm telling you the truth. I felt it. I remember taking a because knowledge is everything. The power of knowing something that I think I know what to do. But then you went to the course and you were affirmed that you were doing things the right way. And now you're learning something new and bringing that back into a in a clinical position where you're meeting patients was very powerful for me. And and the confidence was just blowing up on me. And confidence is everything when you're with a new patient. Mm-hmm. And so people were, were just exploding and coming to my practice. It was literally doubling every year. So the, our topic today is eight things I would do if I started over on Monday. So mm-hmm. one of the things I think you probably hit on already, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. So it's funny because when Sonny and I decided to do this, there's, it's. I mean, I've done 300 presentations in my career, and I have them all in this computer. <laughs> so I look back and I said, "What should I talk about?" I mean, I only have X amount of time. What would and I and I remember this article I wrote. Ready for this, uh, attendees or guys listening. 1999, I wrote it for Dentistry Today. And I had been practicing 18 years at that point. And I said, eight things I would do if I opened up on Monday. And so I, and I think it's the best article I ever wrote. And by the way, I'll send it to you. Yeah, gave you my, yeah we'll you put know. it in the show notes. That'd be a good idea. Yeah. It's really, I, I love it. You know, it's before I wrote any books. Uh, I can tell by my words how passionate I was. But the first number one thing I would do is self-reflection. Like, what do you want? I mean it. You got to know who you are. Yeah. Sure. Maybe you are just interested in the financial gratification. I I, doesn't make you a bad guy. You got the license to do it. I have a young associate five years ago. He was 30 or something work for me. He had nine practices at 30. And he, 
I, I was working for me because uh, you want to know the truth? He says in, in his nine practices, he doesn't really do quality care. He can't. He doesn't have enough time. He doesn't get paid well enough. Can you imagine I'm having these words with you right now? And I this is not disrespectful to this guy. This is the truth is, of what happened. This happens. is reality. Yeah, this is reality. Yeah. And I said, why you? Why would you work for me? How is that even possible? He says, because I am a really good clinical dentist, and I can't do that in my practices. I don't give the time. I mean, that was his his shtick. And so, my point is, is yeah, if you if that's you got to figure out what it is you want, right? You know, let me just say this to you. This is important. I think. The choice of being a really clean, good clinical office and being, we'll get into all this, and being comprehensive, and I'll explain what that means to me anyway, and being a thing in your community and working four days a week, no nights, no weekends, and you may not end up with a gazillion dollars but you'll end up okay you will you you won't have to work forever is what's wrong with that i mean what would be you know i don't understand the mentality you you guys work so hard and obviously have some skills you pass the test Mm -hmm. to be a dentist that's that's not easy Mm -hmm. and and so why would you I don't understand why you just wouldn't want to be the best possible version, pardon the cliche, of who you of what you could be. That's what I did. It's the truth. I'm not the best dentist in the world. You know, I'm not the best dentist in New Jersey. You know, I I don't know what the best is anyway. I know what I am is I'm pretty damn good. Mm-hmm. And I and I got that from a lifetime of commitment like many of you are going to do or have done and that's and so i don't know why you wouldn't choose that and you know community is a big thing to me too yes like i got it's i'm kind of off the track right now but if you if you google which you should do cumberland county new jersey that's where i'm at and i took a lot of feedback bad feedback from people living there by the way who would hear me say this on a podcast or something. And, but if you Google it, everything I'm telling you, we're ranked in the top five in everything you don't want to be ranked in where I practice lowest income, most unemployment, uh, highest crime. Like that's literally where I created this practice that a lot of people know about, which is unbelievable. To, it's it's even unbelievable to me because it's 42 years later. Think about this. I am a fee-for-service dentist and have been for a long time. Not only that, I have very high fees or fees that are commensurate with somebody that made a come, and I have for a long time. Like some of my patients might be here with this podcast. I don't care because what I'm telling you is the truth. They don't have to come to me. You know, I tell patients in the beginning, at some point I say, look, everybody knows I'm not the dollar store. You know, 
you got to choose what you want. And is it palpably different from the moment they call your office? Could you know you can tell that, right? Call up the motor vehicles division on Tuesday in your office and then call the four seasons of Ritz Carlton somewhere. That's palpably different. I'm getting carried away here, Sonny. So so no, it's passing. I'm, 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 I'm yeah. feeling it. Keep going. Yeah. And it's just true. And you know, the very first thing I wrote in my notes to speak about, which I haven't done actually, is if you want to occupy that space in dentistry. What I mean by that is have a have a dental practice that everybody wants to go to, right? I mean, that's a good feeling. Mm-hmm. Uh, then everything you do counts. I mean it. And are you willing to do that? Everything you do from in, from making sure that who picks up that phone on the first phone call, you call my office, 856-692-1370. I'm pretty sure it'll sound professional. You know, more than one person could pick up that phone. But no, it, I do it sometimes. But everything counts. And let me tell you, it's exhausting to worry or be involved in everything. But you always say, so what's the outcome? What's the price? What do you get for that? And what I got is a highly respected practice in my community and around South Jersey. I get to give back to the community, which hopefully we'll talk about before at some point in the two podcasts before we're done, because that's important. And, you know, I'm fee for service and I'm surrounded in that community that I told you about. I am surrounded by 30 offices that will gladly take their insurance, will gladly accept 30 to 40 percent on a dollar. Who would do that? Now, I get that I did it, too. But when you stop and think about it, it's really a tremendous sacrifice you are making that your patients don't make. Your patients don't accept 30 40% on what they're supposed to be paid at their jobs. We mm-hmm. do because of this crazy industry that somehow let insurance infiltrate it. I'm sorry, mm-hmm. I'm off topic. But yeah, the first thing you got to think about is what do you want? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, so you, you yeah. mentioned you mentioned um, the clean dentist office and the comprehensiveness. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know if you want to go into that now, or do you want to yeah. hit second the second yeah. point? Yeah. No, let me get into that because it's, it'll help the listeners the most. You know, the, my second block that I wrote in 1999 was control of my time. I, I, if I get that in this these podcasts, then I do. All I'm saying is. It's about what I just said. Like you got to want a bad, and part of wanting a bad is finding the time. You can't show up at eight o'clock. I know. I know. This sounds terrible to some of you. For the eight o'clock patient, ask right. me how I know that, because I did it for years, and I'd always be behind, and I would never get everything done. When you, you know what it's like when you go to the airport at the last minute. That's when you run into traffic, right? Why? I, that's when you run into problems all the time. When you leave early, everything feels right. It's the same thing when you work every day. There are things involved in dentistry that require 
non-productive time with you where you're not drilling or doing surgeries. And hey, you have to get in early, 30 minutes before you start. Go to bed early. You get your most of you would agree that your most productive time that you think clearly and act efficiently is the early morning hours. And I don't mean like I'm not a five o'clock guy in the morning. I'm not that guy. You know, but I get up at 6.30 or whatever. And even though I'd rather sleep a little bit and you get to the office and you get things done, callbacks to other doctors, referrals, a card that you might want to sign to a patient, all the things that are go along with becoming the practice to go to. But probably the thing that, and Sonny was alluding to it, that gave me the most fuel to do everything else was case acceptance. No doubt about it. There's a lot of dentists listening right now that are better than me that struggle with case acceptance. And and then what a lot of you do is you invent all these other ways to stay busy because you're not doing justice to what you already know. So you'll go into injecting people's lips and sorry, I'm getting wrinkles out of their face. And, you know, and I realize that's a big space in dentistry, but if you did comprehensive dentistry exams the way you're supposed to, the way you know already know how to do it, you wouldn't have time for that. You wouldn't even have any time for sleep dentistry. And I know that's that probably insult a lot of you. So let me tell you where this is an important part of what I can contribute through a podcast. So at some place in my development as a dentist, probably was Dawson to begin with, probably Coys and Spear, I realized how important the examination process is and that whole moment, right? Because sometime this week, you're going to have a patient in a chair that you never met before. And they're gonna, you're going to walk in and what happens? You know, and I know for a lot of you, when we keep going, Sonny, is that okay? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So what happens to a lot of you is there's no thought in it because you're insurance driven. And we got to talk a little bit at some point of how to get out of that. The, the short answer is it's slow. You give yourself a year or two. You don't, nobody's got a gun to your head. Hell, I didn't get out until my 50s but it was worth it. And you drop the worst ones at first. We'll talk about that. This one or next podcast, but, but you walk into a room and if you're insurance driven, they're making the treatment plan, not you. Right. Because you only, you only have 1200 hours to work with or 15 or whatever it is. So it becomes so, a very, very direct and very short conversation. It's really just almost just, yeah. you're just a technician at that point. Right. Well, that's the majority. And that even makes it more amazing for those of you in this group that do have a fee-for-service practice that we have this common bond that you already know because it's it's not only that it's hard to get a patient to understand that value, especially because every office that they ever went to didn't have that philosophy. So it makes you and the patient at that moment on the road, less travel. It all, it can make some patients think if you don't have the personality to convey it, it can make some patients think that you're just trying to get rich, right? 
and get yes. in their wallet. Mm-hmm. So, you know, nobody calls your office and says, listen, I like to see Dr. Spira. I'm pretty certain I need scaling, root planing, uh, uh, missing a number 30. I'd like an implant for that. I like to change all my restorations to indirect restorations, gold in the back, second molars, by the way, and everything else, ideally equilibrate me, be sure my TMJ is all good, and money's not an issue. Of course nobody says that. What they say is what I get. I broke a tooth, I have some pain, whatever it is, and you better believe, not just because we're I'm in a somewhat depressed economy, that's really how it is for most of us. Right. So how do you take that patient then and transfer them in a very short time into somebody? And we're not talking about the patient with the terminal dentition that they know is terminal. That is not how I made my success in dentistry. Sure, certainly I had lots of them and have them today like you do. My practice was, is has not done what it's done because I'm an all-on guy, all-on four. On, I'm not even an all-on four, all-on six guy. I, I do them from time to time, but that's not. I'm a regular restorative dentist, and this is how I do it. And it starts, to be quite honest with you, it's kind of a long answer, Sonny. Cut me off anytime you want. It really starts with your marketing. You know, in the 1990s, my big marketing thing was, an appointment today. So that meant to the public, come in with me to an emergency. And that became my staple. And so I would get a lot of emergencies. And I thought it was a good idea because I believed that, and it, and it works. You can, that could be a philosophy. Right. It works mm-hmm. because I knew that one of the reasons I got new patients was because that patient could not get into his dentist that day so well, i lee, lee Schriftman, that's his entire model in his philadelphia practices they don't have it, appointment books they make appointments and they're open sunday to sunday seven days a week so yeah, yeah that's and he's yeah. fully fee for service so it it definitely can be your model yeah yeah and and and, and i'm not here to you know put a black stamp x on all those models i said you got to decide what you want to do you know, right. there's a guy near me in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, that works all night, not just seven to seven. His shtick is that you can get an appointment two in the morning, three in the morning. I would never do that. Right. It's, look, it is gone. I, I know it's so hard not to get on tangents when you're 100 years old, guys, <laughs> but it's going to go so fast for you, no matter what you do to slow it down. Before you know it, you're going to be towards the middle or the later part of your career, and you're going to look back at what you did. And and it, so it's better if you know in the beginning, and I'll say it again, what could be better than four days a week to me? I can tell you what would be better, three days a week. But what would be better than being done at 5 o'clock, starting at 9, being – I swear to God, when I walk in my practice, based on the principles I'm giving you t- – today and next podcast, I feel they almost want to applaud. That's I don't park in the back and hide my car. I actually feel there's like like a light golf applaud 
when I, I that's how value 95, 99% of those patients are. And it's based on all this stuff I'm trying to um, give you, including what happens in the beginning. Yeah. So we so, market, go ahead. Yeah, let's, I was going to say, let's get back to marketing because you said you started with the, we'll see you today. So you have a, yeah. a large number of folks who can't get into their dentist, which we do, by the way, today in, in my practice. So, so what does that morph into? It morphed into the two things that you should be focusing on, in my opinion, in 2023, above anything else. And that's getting the message in your marketing of trust and confidence. Absolutely, trust and confidence. And you're going to have to email me because I can't take a 10 minutes on every point that comes up. And it, that wasn't going to be my point of the, of the podcast. Trust and confidence. It's more important and it works better. And let me tell you what else is the worst thing you could market is the word free or the implication of a discount. And ask me how I know. Okay. So when you give away stuff, you know what I'm talking about? Free bleaching, free console, free x-rays. I've done it all. And it does work. You get patients, but you never get a patient. I'm I got you covered, guys. I know exactly what works and how easy it is to implement what works. Oh, by okay. the way, I stole that one from you, the send someone you love to someone you trust. I love it. That's great. That's, I, I, that's, I, I, I heard you talk about it. I was like, I'm on that. So I, I borrowed that 100%. So keep going. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. And then when, if I email you, it, Sonny just said, that's one of the campaigns for internal referrals in my office. So there's literally posters in my office. Beautifully done. I'll give you the friggin' thing I did. I spent like 10000 on it. Take it to your printer. It says, send someone you love to someone you trust. Now, you got to be that person, by the way. Right. You got to be trustworthy. You got to be, be good. in your community, just like you said. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. well, you know, I a lot of things that I come up with come from my life experiences. And, you know, I have a, I don't know what it is, 15-year-old Mercedes, uh, AMG 550SL. I don't know much about cars, but somehow I got that. I bought that car when I was 60. I bought it used. And I took it to somebody a couple of years ago. And they told me it was $7,000 for whatever we were going to do. And whatever happened, this is important because it happens in my practice. I didn't go with the guy. There was something happened in the communications. I didn't trust him. Yeah. So I ended up spending seven, probably more, 8000 to fix it with a guy whose approach was more believable to me. I don't know. And so that happens in your practice. You've got to really put a lot of time, unless you're just killing it, then skip this section of the podcast but you have to put a lot of time into what's going on in that thing I described when you're walking in for the first time. And I'm that's what I'm getting to. And it starts, like I said, with marketing. So over time, it morphed into trust and confidence uh, in our marketing. And, and, and that has to be in your office when they, they've got to see that as well. So the next thing that happened 
is I realized the value. This is this is relating to case acceptance. I realized the value of who they talked to first when they first called my office. And that person in my office, by the way, I'm lucky, has been with me for 42 years. She's my new patient coordinator. She loves dentistry. You would love to have her in two seconds. You would steal her from me if you could. And so she does this thing called a screen. So when patients are calling us, we're actually screening them to make sure that they're a good fit. I don't get a zillion new patients a month. Like, you know, I hear these offices, I get 80 patients new a month. Like, I get four. I don't. I might get 12. Seriously. Yeah. But they're screened. They know what I'm going to do. They know they're going to get a complete exam. They know we're going to take x-rays and full set of x-rays, CBCT, whatever I need to do. And so it's not like I never, and, and by the way, I've had the moment where the hygienist came to me in my practice and I might be in my private office for a second. She walks in and says, they don't want me to take any x-rays. What do you want me to do? That's a really low gut punch when that happens. And that never happens because I have this person screening them. And by the way, the marketing, we do kinds of screen people. Some people don't care about trust and confidence. They want their tooth yanked. Right. And maybe you could convert that patient. I, I will say that to you. But you only have so many hours in a day to use these two things, our hands. Yep. And some of those hours a week are committed to new patients. So when I'm in with a new patient, I don't want to take a shot at converting the lowest IQ person that happened to call my office, the lowest IQ, dental IQ, I mean. So they're screened to a bit. So what? So follow me. So Michelle will say things like, she does like these five questions in the screen. Like, can you tell me a little bit about your mouth? And, you know, we've never had anybody say, what the hell are you talking about? They'll She'll say, uh, when was the last time you went to the dentist? And she... She's a person that people instantly bond to. And if she wasn't, I'd have somebody else doing it. She talks as if she has a smile on her face when you're talking to her. I'm not kidding. She talks. Probably because she does. Kind of, yeah. What's that? Probably because she does have a smile on her face as she's talking. Yeah. She wants to get to know you. And, and you want to get to meet this person. That's what it sounds like. I'll right. walk by her, her, her desk. And think she's talking to her husband or her friend, but she's talking to a new patient. You know, <laughs> sometimes she's probably talking to her husband and a friend, but often it, it is a new patient. Sure. And I'm telling you all that because it's setting me up perfectly for the ones that come in. Because then what happens? So she goes through the screen. She says she'll say something like, "Let me tell you exactly how the first the first uh, visit's going to go." And she'll say, Dr. Razzers, we know you caught with it, the tooth you told us about, but he's going to look at everything. She says that on purpose because I want her to, because I want to wait for the reaction that maybe she'll get once in a while that'll be, oh, I don't want him to look at everything. I'm really in a hurry. I just want this one tooth removed. Uh, you know, and, and she'll press them 
on why that's not a good idea, right? And then she'll say, well, you know, maybe uh, this isn't the best match. Not only is she doing all that, but she's doing something you need to try immediately is that if they're calling and they indicate that they need some work, uh, like like I had, they'll say, I haven't been to a dentist in five years. Oh my God, my mouth's a mess. She will definitely implore them to bring the significant other with them. Okay. So I would say literally 70%, not a hundred, but seven out of 10 times when a new patient comes in, their significant other is in the operatory when I'm talking to them. It's a big part. Why do I do that? Because I know based on life experiences of 42 years as a dentist, this experience is going to be different. It's likely that they'll need more than they've been told before. Okay. So let me take you to there. So are you okay with this, Sonny? The way I'm doing um, this? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So now they come in for the first time. And besides the obvious that I'm not going to go into, that I want a Walt Disney clean office, and everybody in my practice, and there's 18 of them in my office, uh, have to be accountable, have to do what I delegate. They get paid very well. They don't have to work weekends or nights. And for that, in return, you got to do your job. And you got to, so I don't want to walk in and see smudge hand marks on any glass in my office. I'm sorry, everything counts, okay? Yeah. Maybe this patient's offended by a, not a crystal clean restroom or whatever. So somebody's in charge of everything. Somebody's in charge of greeting that patient. We don't set off fireworks or wear hats and sing a song, a jingle, but we stand up and greet them and somebody stands up and say, you must be Mr. Smith. Welcome to the office here at Alzheimer's. <clears throat> Why do I say that to you? Because you have one crack at this. Any of you been to a physician lately? I have. <laughs> you walk in, you sit down. <laughs> they, pull, they give you some paperwork. They seem annoyed that you're there. You're almost scared to say the wrong thing. Uh, it's just not what we do. We're, we do the opposite. Yeah. Okay. Finally, they get back in my operatory. Radiographs are taken because it's no problem because they knew they were going to be taken. A CBCT will be taken if I think if the operator involved thinks implants are involved or that is something that they mentioned at the screening with Michelle. I forgot to tell you, there is a second, I'm not kidding about this, five-minute interview in my office with Michelle again when they get there, before they go back. Why would I do that? Because people lie over the telephone. I think people, patients are in denial sometimes. So somebody will say to us, you've had this happen. I broke a tooth on the upper right. How, how would you say the rest of your mouth is? That is it. In my mouth is I brush. You love this one, guys? I brush every day, twice a day. Oh, I'm impressed. Okay. 
and they get to your office and they have periodontal buzzard breath from three feet away at a desk. They have so much more going on. Maybe they start crying. I'm serious. In the private office when she's, she does this to be sure what she heard on the phone is fairly truthful. And a lot of times when people are right in front of you, other stuff comes out. Maybe it's fear because I didn't even talk about that yet. My practice is a sedation practice for at least half the patients. And I'm going to implore you at some point to use my sedation and get a sedation permit because it's the biggest single thing you could ever do in your practice, whether you do surgery or not. The biggest single thing you could ever do is get a sedation permit. And I'll get to that a little bit later. Sonny, we might have to do five of these. So (laughs) anyway, let me get back. I just want to finish beyond target. Sure. So they may come into the office with their spouse, by the way, and it's a little private office. Just And she'll say, look, I know I asked you this over the phone. Just trying to make sure I have all the information so we can serve you best. That sounds reasonable to me. And she she has her notes over the phone that she said. But she says, you said over the phone last time you went to the dentist was, you know, a year ago. And her husband will probably say, you haven't been since COVID. You haven't been in five years. Or It all changes. I'm not most of the time the story changes. So now I have more information because Michelle, my new patient coordinator, is going to coach me a little bit before I go in the room. I want to know everything I can know because I only have that one moment to make this the most productive time with the patient I can have. Not to sell them something they don't need, just understanding who I'm walking into. Okay, so they go and they have the x-rays taken. They're charted. I show up, and I have plenty of time, which is a whole other subject with you guys. I have plenty of time because I always have plenty of time. I add time to every procedure I do, which is the second best thing you could ever do. Adding, if you think something's going to take you, 45 minutes, given an hour and 15 minutes. Oh, my God, what is he talking about? How could I do that? Well, if you commit to CE and you start to improve your clinical skills or if you're already there, you have to have fees that are commensurate with that kind of practice. When your fees are right, you have time. When you don't have time is when you make all your mistakes, That's when you leave open contacts or cement a crown in that you got to come back to and redo because it's a food trap. That's when you have a flawed treatment plan. That's when you make bad decisions when you don't have enough time. I saw a guy online. I don't know what to say because I'll probably see this podcast because a lot of the people cross over. He saw 108 patients in one day. Did you see that? I did. That wasn't you, right? (laughs) (laughs) I guess there's different philosophies is how I'll leave that. I don't know how that would work. And I don't know how that would work with what I just told you about making mistakes and doing the right thing. 
you know, is that what you want to be? Or you don't, you don't care about that. And that's a different conversation. So when I walk in and sit down, I want you to picture this. I'm sitting in my chair, the patients in the uh, dental chair and their spouse is in a comfortable chair that I purchased that's movable. I used to have one. Now I have them like almost in every operatory. And I'll begin by saying social things like you do, but they usually say something like this. How did you find me? Because when they say that, it often sparks conversation. How did you find us? How did you find me? Then I'll tell them this, and I think this is really important, and it defies the laws of Dale Carnegie of what you're supposed to do with a patient, with a new person, because I tell them about me first, because I think it's the only way I can get to my exam. And I'll say this. I'll say, you said you're a nurse, right? Or what is it that you do? I'll tell you why I asked you that. Because whether you're a nurse, a lawyer, a doctor, a dentist, you don't have to love what you do. We don't all love what we do. You can have a profession and like it. And then you're really good at something else. And that is very true in dentistry. It's extremely true. And that's not who I am. I said, when I became a dentist, I don't even know why this happened. I felt like it was being an astronaut. I literally say that. It's a good line, by the way. And because people get it. And I was so excited that I was legally allowed to do all these things I had learned for the past four years. It felt amazing. And I wanted to be the best astronaut in the world, if you will. So what did I do? I'm telling the patients this. This is my opening line. I took every CE course I could find in my 20s, really up to today, up to now. And I say that to you because I think the most important part of this relationship, you're sitting in here, I'm sitting over here, you just met me. It's probably a little bit nervous for you. What to do when? What's the right thing for me to recommend to you? Thanks for listening to the fee-for-service dentist podcast. If you would like to share your fee-for-service story, please fill out our contact form at ffsdentistry.com. Also, be sure to join our fee-for-service dentistry Facebook group. For help starting your dental membership plan, visit dentalmembershipdirect.com and membershipmastercourse.com. Finally, for help with in-house financing, visit dentalfinancingdirect.com. And don't forget, your story is what you make of it. This is your name on the door and your reputation on the line. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next time.